The We're LCC podcast is a monthly show that comes out on the 9th of every month. But if you hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app, you'll never need to remember that because the show will automatically be there. So go ahead and hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app now. We are LCC, a podcast emanating from the halls of Lower Canada College on Royal Avenue in Montreal. Here's alumni officer Christine Jones. Welcome to the We Are LCC podcast. I'm Christine Jones, your host, alum, parent, and the school's alumni officer. Today, I'm happy to have Maggie Owen with us, the head of the academic advising department at LCC, to share her knowledge about the post-secondary route, the college admissions process, and finding your fit. This is a great conversation with a ton of information. Thanks for joining us, Maggie. If we could just start, if you could just tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, who you are, how you got into academic advising, and maybe, you know, what is academic advising? What do academic advisors do? So it's a loaded question, but we can start there. (laughs) Great. Yes. Thanks, KJ. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, Definitely looking forward to answering a lot of these questions because I know a lot of families are currently thinking about Uh, the next steps. And there's probably even some parents out there who are thinking about the next steps before their children are. Um, So this is very apropos. So my name is Maggie Owen, and I'm the Academic Advising Coordinator at LCC. So I have the pleasure of coordinating the department in partnership with many other departments in the school. And so what I can say that academic advising is, is that it is definitely a process and department at LCC that requires partnerships. I believe it doesn't work in isolation. It really needs to be a team approach. So students have the most comprehensive overview of their opportunities, options, skill set, so they can make good educated decisions. Uh, And so to answer your previous question, though, the reason how I came to this is that I studied performance in undergrad, which seemingly might have nothing to do with academic advising. But really, I started as a performer in musical theater and theater arts. And uh, I also studied uh, literature. And so I then went on to think about how can I support people in telling their stories? Because I really love stories. That's something that has always grabbed me. And so I decided to move on to a master's in what's called creative arts therapies, Uh, basically using dramatic techniques to support students, patients uh, to reach some kind of therapeutic catharsis or to have some kind of therapeutic understanding of themselves. However, I love school. I've always loved working in schools. And so I kind of saw the next natural step is supporting students in, I don't know, finding their interests, finding their future stories, helping them understand what they might like to do. And so I did my master's in education as well. And so This has led me to academic advising, a field that is very broad, uh, interdisciplinary, and uh, will depend on the context that you are in. So I'm prefacing this with all this information because academic advising might look different in other institutions. And so at LCC, what academic advising looks like is that we work with students in 7 through 12, 7 and 8 are light right? Nine through 12, we're a lot more plugged in and they see us a lot more. And so the idea behind academic advising is, yes, the basics, helping students understand the system that they are in, the educational system that they are in, but also the school context that they are in. And at LCC, that means we are an IB school. So what is the Quebec system? What is IB? And then what are all the opportunities that I should be aware of within our school and beyond? 
that's a lot for a young mind to handle, I think, uh, especially because life can be hectic and busy. And so we try to scaffold that process systematically through age-appropriate lessons, assessments from grade 7 through 12. And so it's a guided, intentional process to help students understand their skill set, what they like, and how they can access opportunities that uh, tap into that long term. It's a very broad answer. Right. No, but it's great. I love the combination of of your masters and how you've connected the therapy and trying to tell stories and, you know, looking at students and, and what is their story and how can they tell their story for their future. I, I, I think that connection is really special. So how would you say academic advising then empowers students to meet their own academic goals? Well, the first thing is awareness. I, I find that uh, the young mind often doesn't want to project itself into the future. It's really not a natural thing it wants to do. It wants to be in the here and now often. And so really what we need to do is help students practice planning, long-term planning, and then working backwards as to how can I get to that goal. Now, all of that takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And it's a lot of self-reflective questions, uh, a lot of um, goal setting, and then holding them to those goals holding them accountable to those goals. If they change, that's okay. But if they're just not following through, that's a different story. And that happens a lot with young people and doing it in a kind and supportive manner. So it maintains the um, advisor relationship. So with that in mind, it really is goal setting short term first, and then slowly expanding it long term. Now, of course, we use several tools to help students do this. And it really depends on how old they are, we want to make sure it's developmentally appropriate. And so sometimes we use psychometric tools, something called the strong interest inventory, which is a career inventory where students can answer a series of questions. And we analyze the reports with them together. And then the next step, though, is link it concretely to university programs or summer programs or workshops that are out there that they can start pursuing to help them. The great thing is that at LCC, we already have a lot of things in-house that they can do to explore those things. So that's the first point of reference is what's already here where you can explore that and then go do it, actually act on it. So a lot of it is also motivation. How do you motivate a student not just to think about something, but to actually do it? And that can be tough and scary for a young mind because they're not sure, um, they perseverate over it. And that's where a lot of talking and and structured goal setting is very important. Right. And and you mentioned scary for students. I mean, we all know that university admissions have now become so much more competitive. And so that must bring a lot of stress onto the students as well when they're thinking about all of this planning. So what advice would you have for students to manage the stress that all of that brings with it? Yeah. And, and we're using university because that's where most of our students would like to go. That's what most of our students would like to do. But there's also other destinations. And thinking about this, like this process can be applied to so many different things in life. And so when we're thinking about university, it's a huge investment of time, energy, money, of course. And so when we're talking about university admission, the first thing students just need to know is the facts, right? What do I need, right? But then sometimes they also have to understand the regions that they're applying to and what those regions value in the admissions process. You have some destinations that are very quantitative in nature. It's just going to be your grades, right? A lot of Canadian schools have some of that 
it's changing a little bit, but that's pretty much it. Whereas U.S. admissions has this holistic process, which can be wonderful, but also very anxiety provoking because then students can't, you can't think black and white in that, in that process. You have to think, what school am I going to like? What's going to be a good fit? And what story can I tell them to help them understand that I'm a good fit? And so what students can first start doing now to help them navigate that process um, and to kind of gain some confidence, that's really a big piece of this, is gain some confidence in their choices, is to research. Start researching first. Researching just costs time, right? And so we give them, uh, we use a platform called CLFO that we work with with our students where they can research different schools based on size, location, tuition, scholarship possibilities. We create these fit criteria that they can anchor their search to so it doesn't feel like a needle in a haystack. And then they create kind of a draft of a list. And that list has to be looked at with the family as well. This is a family process. And then, of course, we can help guide them in terms of admissibility from the LCC context as well. And then they need to go see those schools. And that's a part that I, I'm so glad we're talking about this, but there's, there's a strange hesitation to go and see these schools. And so we try to tell students, you wouldn't buy a house without seeing it. And some education systems can cost just as much as that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it's really planning out when am I going to see these campuses? And if there's financial matters that are holding students back from doing that, like a flight somewhere, there's so many amazing resources out there today where you can do a virtual tour, virtual information sessions, but really not to be afraid to really inform yourself in a detailed level. So to answer your question, it's doing the research, partnering with parents, guardians, your academic advisor to build a list that meets your fit criteria. So academic fit, financial fit, geographic fit, and then going and seeing those places. That's kind of like the beginning. That's a lot. So starting early is super important. So this process can be fun, which it should be. Thinking about your future should be exciting. It should be fun. And a lot of students don't see it that way because they're so worried they're going to make a bad decision. Right. No, but I, I think that makes a lot of sense talking about the researching, narrowing down your list, going for the tours, making most out of those, the campus visits. And yeah, having fun while you're doing it is obviously <laughs> would be an added bonus. So, you know, you talked about some of the resources that are available to the students to navigate the process. I know that one big chunk for the U.S. admissions is the standardized tests and how important are those test scores in the process and, and what are the other factors that the colleges consider when evaluating applications? Yeah. So uh, I'm just going to provide a lens through which we're going to look at this. So Right now, we're talking about the U.S. admissions process, which is very different from the Canadian, European, U.K., which our students also apply to. So right now, I'm only looking through the U.S. admissions lens. And so when I'm thinking about U.S. admissions and standardized testing, there's been a huge shift since COVID, uh, since the pandemic, um, where many, many universities have gone what's called test optional, uh, which means whether you submit your standardized testing scores or not, um, if you submit them, they'll, they'll consider them in the admissions process. And if you don't, you will not be penalized. If you don't, it just highlights all the other parts of the holistic admissions process more. And so when we say holistic admissions to the U.S., mainly what they're looking at is 
your academics, so your grades from grades nine through 12. They're looking at academic rigor. How much have you challenged yourself within the context that you are in? So what is available to you in your current school and how much have you taken advantage of the academic rigor within that context? So they will look at that. Um, and they do that by looking at what's called the school profile, which is um, a one-page, two-page document that shows all the available courses at a particular school. So you're not penalized if you take a higher level, let's say, in math or science, but you don't do as well as you may have done in the lower level. Well, what that means is they will consider that. <laughs> right. Okay. They'll consider that. They're like, oh, this student has a slightly lower grade, but look at how much more difficult this course is. They will definitely take that into consideration because it's about the context that you're in um, and how much you've challenged yourself. Which is very good to know, I think, for a lot of students and families, because I think that there's been such a focus on grades and what averages are and what you get, what your mark is, that that's a really valid point for people to know about. Yeah. And, and again, we we're looking at this through the U.S. lens, right? Not every school necessarily looks at uh, admissions that way. Um, and so the academic piece is there. But then, of course, in addition to that, they're going to look at letters of recommendation, Traditionally, you'll need what's called a counselor letter um, in the context of LCC. That's your academic advising letter, um, which kind of gives you uh, gives the admissions committee an overview of your journey in high school in general. What curriculars you've taken advantage of, awards you might have won, uh, your role, your role in the school, essentially, um, how you've compared academically to the student body, perhaps. In addition to that, usually one to three letters of recommendation from your teacher. What do you look like in a classroom context? How have you contributed uh, to the classroom climate dynamic and so on? Um, and how much have you mastered your particular subject? And then from there, usually, and there's some other letters of recommendation that some schools will consider, but those are the main ones. Um, and then, of course, uh, the student's personal essay, um, which that's a whole nother beast, right? Is what story do you want to tell from your life or from your journey that will help an admissions committee understand you as a person and your values and what's important to you? And then you have things called supplements, which are smaller essays that are specific to certain schools. And then there's the standardized testing, right? So there's so many things that are considered in admitting a student to a U.S. college. Um, and so the standardized testing piece now has become optional. So it's confusing for a student. Do I do it? Do I not do it? And so in the LCC context, what we are currently saying is that if you have the opportunity to take it, you should take it because it's another metric that allows an admissions counselor to see your skill set, how well you're doing in a standardized format. Right. And do you have to submit your marks? If let's just say you do it and you're not happy with what you got on it, do you have to submit it if you've written it or can you then choose to not submit it with your application? There's a few things to consider. You'll want to look at the, the university's policy on standardized testing. And so if they're saying they're test optional, it means you don't have to usually submit it if you don't feel it's representative of your skill set, right? Because there's so many factors to consider when it comes to performance on standardized testing. We are in a Canadian context. We don't naturally prepare our students for the SAT or the ACT because they're not part of our university admissions process in Canada. Um, and so it means it's extra work a student has to do. It's extra time, extra resources they have to allocate to that. And so maybe sometimes the result the first time around isn't as indicative of their abilities. 
And so really it's important for the student to look at the university's policy on submitting testing. Some will say we need to all your tests and then we'll take the best pieces it's called super scoring. We'll take the best pieces of each section to create a super score. So don't worry if you didn't do well on one. Um, if you did well on the next one, we'll take the best parts of each, right? But yes, a student, if the policy of the university allows for it, can decide not to submit it if they don't feel it's representative of their abilities. Right. And for the essay, I know, I know again, we're still talking right now about the U.S. colleges, but what are some of the strategies that you, you tell students about to, to write the sort of standout college essay that could showcase their unique qualities? I mean, schools receive thousands upon thousands. Um, I'm, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to answer for multiple regions. So I'll start. Of with course. The, yes. Yeah, no, I'll helpful. start with the U.S., right? So the U.S., it's called the personal essay. It's 650 words and it usually goes through the common application or, well, there's many platforms, but the one that we mostly use at LCC is the common application. Um, and this essay goes to every university that a student applies to in the U.S. on that platform. So it cannot be university specific. It's supposed to be student specific. So they're given a number of prompts that they can use for inspiration. And so the challenge with this essay is that it you can write about anything that you want, which is wonderful, but it seems so big to many students. And so a few things that students can do to kind of help figure out what they want to communicate is first think about what do you believe is important about your personalities, your values that you really want an admissions counselor to know that they cannot see in any other part of your application? And so what, what about you do you believe makes you a good fit for university in general? Now, that can sometimes feel a bit big for a teenager. You're like, well, I, don't, I don't really know how to answer that. So some practical ways that you can break it down. Um, and this is not the, the right way. It's a way that I have found works well with young people is we work through their activity list first. So on the common application, you can put in 10, up to 10 activities um, that are very important to you. And we start with that. And then we ask a series of questions about these activities. How have they helped you, you know, build friendships? How have they helped you see something in a different way? And usually throughout that process, they narrow down one to three activities that really is, were very important to them. Um, and we start building a narrative from there and they write a draft from there. So that's one way to narrow it down because it's everything that it's familiar to them. It doesn't feel so, so vague. Like some of these questions are very big, right? Yeah, very broad. Yeah. But other students, aside from their activities, also have had major life events um, that have happened to them that they feel is very important to them. Some students have had, you know, family members that have had ma major life events. Um, and so often those might spark a bit of inspiration for some writing as well. The hardest part is starting. So using lots of different techniques and strategies in our workshops just to help get the story out a little bit. From there, it's drafts, review, really a lot of this is this, the student doing this. And then they bring it to us and we give them feedback on where it might need more clarity. Um, if an essay reads totally different from the person that I'm seeing in front of me, that's something we have to talk about, right? Because this essay is supposed to represent them, them. So that's a few ways that you can do it uh, to kind of help a student along. But we do know that starting is the hardest part. So sometimes in workshops, I literally start a timer and I say, all you have to do for 10 minutes is write. I don't need a novel. I just need your thoughts on paper. And sometimes that just helps a student kind of 
jog loose a few a few memories that they have. When you're sitting at home with your child, if you're a parent listening to this, another way to support them is sometimes we'll say stimulate all of the senses. If you're talking about family, eat food that you eat together. Uh, look at family pictures. Look at your Instagram account. Um, look at memories that you remember fondly and reflect on why you're remembering them so fondly. What did you learn from them? Because what they want to see in these essays is not just kind of who a piece of who you are. They also want to see how you think. And so how do you, what insights have you gained from these life experiences? And so as you can see, as I'm talking about it, it, it it's very big, right? For They haven't maybe written some of these essays before in their English classes. Um, so this is a, is a bit new. It's a creative writing piece, but it's not fiction. So it's, it's time uh, and a lot of reflection and using specific memories, activities, life circumstances to find a narrative that they want to develop. So that's the U.S. one. That's the U.S., right? So if we're looking more at Canada... Canada is determining, determining admissions mostly based on grades. That's still the general practice, but then it's program dependent, not school dependent. So depending on which program you're applying to in different universities, some of them might have what's called supplements that you have to complete, which are smaller essays. Um, some of them, like UBC, for example, if you look at their personal profile, they ask more broad questions. Uh, so what's important to you? Um, tell us about a time where you experienced a challenge and how you overcame it. Um, so those are still quite broad. But then there's many other schools or programs that will ask you specific questions about what you want to study. And so it's a more targeted question, which means a student really has to think about why am I applying into commerce? Why am I applying into engineering? Why do I want to do this? Essentially, what have I done to date that makes me a good candidate? So it's a lot more focused in that sense. And if we're looking at the UK um, and many European schools as well, in the UK, they will want to know specifically, why do you want to study biology? Why do you want to study uh, dance? Um, and then they will want to understand specific experiences you have had specifically related to that or transferable skills that relate to that. So it's a lot more focused. During the process, does the student demonstrating a particular or their particular interest in a certain college or university have any sort of significant role in the application? If it does, how can they do that? How can they show the school that they, you know, want to be there outside of just the regular application? So there is something called demonstrated interest, which is a concept that some universities, uh, not so much in Canada, it's mostly still a U.S. thing. And, and there's a few programs abroad that uh, would probably appreciate this as well. Uh, and so demonstrated interest is where there's a, a history of a student engaging in specific activities or information session that a university has offered. So whether that's going on campus tours attending information sessions, answering surveys that are sent by the university. And that's called demonstrated interest. And some universities track that um, and use that within the admissions process. Now, what I would like to say is that that's a small piece, right? Because showing how interested you are in a university, but having a profile that doesn't match what that university is looking for is not going to help a student get admitted. 
So it's kind of like the cherry on top. And, and part of that is that students should be doing this anyway, right? They should be going on tours. They should be going to information sessions to schools they're interested in. And so not every university uses that in their admissions process and some do. Um, so given that sometimes that's not known, what we focus on at LCC is that these are things you should be doing anyway. So instead of doing it because it's part of maybe something that a university tracks, do it to inform yourself because you're going to need this information anyway. Right, right. No, that makes complete sense. And for families or students and families considering um, evaluating financial aid options or scholarship opportunities, what is to be considered in that bucket of stuff? Yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better uh, lack of a better word. That's a big one, you know, whether it's like scholarships for athletics or the financial aid piece, it's a, it's a big one. It is a big one. So I'll, I'll start maybe with the financial aid piece. Um, and so of course it's going to depend where a family, well, where a student wants to study and where the family can support the student in doing that. Um, and so often tuition is linked with citizenship. And so first looking at I mean, we talk about the U.S. a lot, but there's amazing opportunities in Europe um, and in the U.K. as well, and sometimes far less expensive. And so if you are a Canadian citizen, for instance, going to the U.S., uh, you'd be paying international fees, which would be a lot more expensive. And so what you would have to look at is when I'm applying to a university, do they offer financial aid to international students? So that's a very clear, simple thing that if you're a parent and you want to help your child in this process, but you don't want to take away their autonomy, that might be a big piece where a parent could step in and say, hey, why don't I look at the financial aid piece with you um, and you look at the academic piece and then we'll come together and kind of compare notes. Uh, that's a, a good team approach. And so when you're looking at the U.S., you have to look at do they give financial aid to international students? If you're a U.S. student, uh, just make sure that there's no, usually it's fine if you're a U.S. student and, and uh, you're a U.S. citizen, you should be able to qualify for financial aid um, if, if their website indicates it. Uh, but it's just some detailed reading you have to do to make sure. Uh, if you're going to Europe and you are an EU citizen, there are specific rules for how long you must have been in the country in order to qualify because you might still be charged international tuition fees if you're an EU citizen, but you haven't lived in there in the country for more than 10 years. So there's all these little things tied to citizenship that's very simple that you can start with when it comes to financial aid. From there, a few things to consider. I mean, I'll, I'll go back to the U.S. just because that is a big target for our families. Uh, you can look at schools who are need blind versus need aware. Um, so when you're going into the admissions process, some universities are what's called need blind, meaning whether you need financial aid or not, they don't even know about it in the admissions process, which kind of removes that factor. They'll deal with it after. Usually it's a separate process. It's looked at in the financial aid office, whereas need aware are universities that know you need aid. And they will kind of be aware of that throughout the admissions process, how that impacts admissibility. That's a big thing to answer because it varies by year. It depends on what they're looking for. It depends on the student's profile. Um, but they just, they are aware of it. And so 
the, the, the biggest thing I can say to parents and to students researching this is a lot of it is linked to citizenship. So you have to read in the financial aid category, do I qualify for this particular school? Are they aware that I need aid when I'm applying? So when it comes to scholarships, also often linked to citizenship, if it's not talent-based or athletic-based, right? In Canada, um, there are lots of great scholarships uh, from many universities. A lot of them are university-linked, but there also are some that go through communities, like the TD Bank Community Scholarship is pretty interesting, the Loran Scholarship. Um, and so some of those scholarships are... I'll start with the university-based one. Often they are based on merit. So when we say merit scholarships, we mean grades, right? Academic performance. Um, and then there's some additional categories. So um, what community service have you done? It, it really does depend on what the scholarship is, is aiming for. And then there are others that are based off of a student's contribution somehow. So whether that's to the community, uh, the Loran scholarship is really um really big on that, like understanding what a student has contributed, what's a student's passion and how have they pursued those passions. And then there are those that are athletic. So athletic scholarships are, of course, um, depending on whether you're going for NCAA qualification in the U.S., you'd have to do NCAA Division One and Two to be considered for scholarships. Division Three doesn't really give out scholarships. And in the U.S., it's it's in Canada, excuse me, it's not as common to have major athletic scholarships. It's definitely possible, but it's relative to the U.S., not as um, practiced. It's mostly based off of, of merit grades. It's a big question to answer, as you can see, <laughs> kind of trying to give you a lot of information. But the first thing I would say is look at the requirements, the criteria, which is often linked to citizenship. That's the first step. And the next step from there, it's probably going to be based on specific uh, criteria like merit, grades, an average that you have to be within, or community contributions, or perhaps a talent. If you're going to play dance or theater, for example, I got a theater scholarship, um, and so that's why I was able to study where I studied, or community contributions also help. Right. I mean, all of this is, yes, it's a lot of information. It's a lot of research that's required. And so when you look at this process, how can families and students affect, well, I guess the students with their families effectively manage all of this, like their time, stay organized during the application process, um, still maintain all the stuff they have to do in their regular sort of day-to-day -day life in school. So what are some tips and tricks for that? Yeah. So because in Canada, the process is a little bit different and Quebec, it's very different because we do also have um, this other opportunity called CEGEP, right? That students can go to. The way we prepare for university is a little bit different compared to the U.S. The U.S. model, students are already thinking about this as of grade nine. Um, and the a lot of the college counseling models uh, really push students to think about it at much earlier grade levels compared to Canada. Um, and so because we are a global school and we attract students from all backgrounds and from different countries, it means we have to start earlier. Um, I think that starting in grade 11 is a bit late. And so what I would love to see and what we've continued to push on our end is that in grade nine, you started at a very light level. So if you're a parent and you're not really sure 
how to start this process because we know young people, they don't always want to hear about this. They don't want to, it stresses them out. And you know what, justifiably so. You just started grade nine. Why am I thinking about university, right? And so part of the education, and this is where the school helps as well, and, and the parents can help, is helping students understand why planning is so important and then chunking it, breaking it down into small bits. And so in grade nine, what that looks like is just helping them reflect on what do you think you're good at? What do you think you need to work on? Not putting so much pressure on what do you want to be? Because that question is is challenging on many levels. First of all, a young brain doesn't want to necessarily always think about that. I'm still trying to figure it out for myself. <laughs> and that's the other piece. Career changes are more and more common. There might be many things, right? And so focusing more on what are my strengths? What do I need to work on? Um, and what courses am I really finding engaging? What do I look forward to going to every day? Love my chemistry class. Well, oh gosh, I just can't wait to get there every day. And then kind of thinking about that, but not putting too much pressure on it. Talking about why do you like this? Hey, you know what? I would love to take you to my alma mater and I would love for you to check out their library and maybe we could find this cool chemistry book there. Finding a way to lightly introduce them to the idea of post-secondary education. And so what we want families to do is in grade nine, try to visit one university. Ideally, a university that makes sense. Maybe it's a parent's alma mater. Say, hey, I, I really want to show you this library. I, I love it. It's not necessarily about going to that school. It's about understanding the concept of a university environment and making a family weekend out of it. Hey, let's go to the coffee shop and I'll show you the library that I went to. I keep saying library because it's a common yeah. place that I <laughs> yeah. want students to go to more often. You're not going to bring them to the pub, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like the cafeteria. Just kind of sharing maybe your experience. And that's one way to make it meaningful and for it not just to be like a university visit that's not attached to any kind of, uh, I don't know, meaningful experience. And so in grade nine, that would be an ideal scenario and way to kind of get a student interested or, or at least invested. In grade 10, that's when we really start noticing students getting a better sense of what courses they might want to take in grade 11, what what their challenges are that they feel are so significant that they don't want to necessarily keep pursuing them. That has multiple conversations around it. I, I don't think just because a subject is hard for a student that they should stop doing it. We'd have to analyze why that's happening and work with other departments to understand that a little bit better before making a decision. But it is a time frame when students do tend to make a big decision about what courses will I commit to in grade 11 that will allow me access to what I want to do. And so again, in grade 10, you see a bigger investment around that decision time. It usually happens between January and June of grade 10. And so again, finding a way to attach that to a university visit, go into the context, right? Some students, we have a lot of hockey lovers in Canada here. Uh, and so why don't you go see a hockey game, a university hockey game on the university campus? But before the evening, going to that hockey game, you know, maybe you're checking out different parts of the campus. Go look at the track. Go look at the athletic facilities. Just slowly exposing them to university life, what that looks like. Um, and then once they get to grade 11, they've seen hopefully maybe a parent's alma mater or a guardian's alma mater, a family member's alma mater. They've seen some athletic facilities or whatever their interest is, a theater piece, a dance piece for our performers. And then in grade 11, it's about, okay, what do I want? What do, what do I want to look for? And that's when they're going to probably look at the academics a bit more seriously. 
But instead of it being their first time on a university campus, they've already had a bit of experience. So it's, it's not, they're not novices anymore. Right. It's not as daunting. It's not like, what is university kind of thing? They, they have a taste of it. And because ideally, theoretically, I mean, stress is always going to be there. Stress is normal, but they won't be stressed to such a degree where they can't take in new information. Um, they're not so overwhelmed by being on a campus for the first time. They can actually think through what they want to find out on that visit. I do find that students who are the most stressed are the students who have not given themselves the opportunity to do this a little bit earlier. Right. No, that's a very good point. Chunking it out, it makes a lot of sense. I have one sort of final question, but I'd love you just to like throw in anything else that you'd love to to share with um, our listeners. But uh, the question was more specifically related to common mistakes. Like what should people avoid during this process? And then perhaps with the, with the answer for that, you can leave us with some of your final thoughts on all of this. Sure. That's a tough one because uh, a lot of them are learning opportunities. And I, I don't say that just to not make mistakes sound so scary. It, it, they really are. But I would say that solely basing a decision to apply somewhere based off of a few anecdotes that you've heard or based solely on the reputation of an institution, not necessarily a mistake, but I would say that you might think that you're committing to one thing in your mind, but the reality of that context might be very different. Um, and so that's our concern is how would you be able to identify fit if you are basing your decision off of reputation or other people's ideas of a context? And I would say the same thing for parents. It's very common, right? Because it's difficult to, you're busy. It's difficult to kind of research and spend all this time. And not everybody has that time. But that's why when you start earlier and you do it at a more relaxed pace, it's a lot easier to feel comfortable and confident with your decisions. And so I will give a very concrete example. We've got this amazing, two amazing institutions. We've got McGill and Concordia right down the street from our school, both are wonderful institutions and strengths in many different areas, right? And so often there's an assumption that one school will be better just because it has maybe more international research publications or it just is higher on the rankings. But particularly in Canada, the important thing to keep in mind is that often you are admitted to the program not or the faculty, not the university. And one faculty at one school might be far more specialized than at another. So only using rankings, which are not always giving you the full picture, um, can be very misleading. Um, and so that's why looking at the details is so important. Going to the campus is important. And yes, talking to your family and friends is one piece of information, but it shouldn't be the sole reason you base your decision on applying. Well, and also as, as a, from a parent perspective myself with a, with a child just finishing our pre-U program, what we knew 30 years ago when we were in university and what is in our heads as expectations or what the good schools were, or where we should go or how we should do it is vastly different from now. So I think that that's also something just personally that I've learned along the way is just because I went to Queens or, you know what I mean? It doesn't mean that all of my kids need to go there. It's, it's, it's a very different thing, you know? Exactly. And I think that's why, at least in our context, I do believe that this is far more a family process than just a one-on-one -on -one process. And I see this not to take away ownership, accountability, and autonomy from the student. They must drive this bus. But everyone needs to be informed 
about the context and the changes, uh, because as a parent, you want to help. And I, I do know from parent feedback that sometimes parents can feel a bit helpless in this process. They don't know because things are so different. And so that's why supporting parents and becoming more educated about the changes is so important. So the conversations at home can can be productive. Absolutely. Any other final parting words for our community? Yeah. So I just, I want to say, I'll start with the students that no matter what you want to do um, and where you want to go, there is a place for you where you can thrive, um, where you can be happy and where you can do what you want to do. And that's regardless of your financial circumstances. We're so lucky to live in Canada and in Quebec where education is some of the best in the country and some of the least expensive in the country. And so the alternatively, if you're a student that wants to spread your wings and you want to go far away from home, you will qualify. There are universities out there. If you do the digging and you partner with you know, your guardians, your parents, and your academic advisor, you can find a place that you can thrive in. So it's a message of hope because what we're seeing is admissions averages going up and up and up and up. And I know that's stressing a lot of families out, but what you need to know is that our students are, they qualify. We have a strong student body. They just need to be aware of these criteria and what they can do to do their best. So if you're a student listening to this, you have many options. And in order for you to understand those options, your responsibility is to start now and start now in a fun and light way. If you're in grade nine and 10, if you're in grade 11, to partner with the resources around you to help you understand your options. If you're a parent, so I know this can be a very challenging process because you want to support your child in making their own decisions. You want to support them in doing the work, which we know young minds struggle to do. Procrastination is a real thing, even in adulthood. But I would say that try to make some of these experiences a family experience, fun family getaways, visiting a campus here, visiting campus there, um, but also not feeling the need to pressure your child to make a decision about what they want to be in life. Um, I think what we want to focus on is skills, transferable skills, discipline specific skills, and understanding that there's more than one way to get somewhere. It doesn't just have to be a traditional straight line. In fact, we know it's not a straight line. So long as your child is working their best, they're listening, they're planning, they're open to ideas, they're already halfway there. And so just not feeling the need to put that pressure on them about what they want to be, because they might be five different things. (laughs) So maybe just focusing on what can I do to perform my best? Um, What is the next step rather than like my whole life? Uh, And I think sometimes that takes some of the pressure off both for parents and for students. But I am saying this knowing that it's not easy. Uh, and that it takes time, it takes lots of conversation, and just to know that you have lots of professionals in your corner, both as a parent and as a student, who want to help you. Well, I mean, I will say from from our parents, students, community are very fortunate to have you leading such a fantastic team of advisors. And I guess I could say when I grow up or in my second life, I'm going to come to you for what I'm going to do next. (laughs) Yes, we'd love to. That sounds great. But yeah, on behalf of everybody, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Yes, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to We Are LCC. For more, go to lcc.ca slash podcast. And remember to hit subscribe or follow on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. 
Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.